All right, good morning, everybody. This morning, if you want to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31, and we'll do 32 also, and then we'll finish up next week. We're going to cover a couple chapters, so we're going to have to get, kind of get at it here. This Saturday is our uh, training, security training, so if you're interested in coming and signing up for that, I think the, are we still doing the computer back there or not? Yeah, so you can sign up back there on the computer if you're interested in coming. Um, I think we have uh, at least three other churches coming. We've got 10 from other churches coming in, so, and of course all of our guys, and, and if you're interested in showing up for that, you're welcome to do it also. Um, so that's this Saturday. All right, um, we're going to have a baptism next August, obviously this August, not next August, this coming August. Uh, we don't know the date exactly, but if you're a born-again believer, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never been water baptized, you need to get that done. Um, it's not that you're not saved, you're saved, um, but it is a, it's, a, it's what we do. It's what God commands us to do. It's our first act of obedience. So um, we'll be doing a baptism this August, so contact me if you're interested in doing that, and we'll, uh, we're going to work on the best day for everybody. Uh, it'll be after second service on a Sunday, and we'll head out to Mazingo Beach, and then we'll go ahead and do that out there. So that's coming up in August. All right, Deuteronomy. Uh, the transfer of power is taking place. Uh, God is going to allow Joshua to take the nation of Israel into the promised land. Uh, Moses brought them to uh, the Jordan here, um, and, uh, but they can't cross over and, and with him because he was disobedient. And uh, we'll talk about that in great detail as we get further on in the chapter. But this is just the, the story of the transfer of power, that uh, there's going to be a new leader. Okay, so verse 1, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today, so it's Moses' birthday. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who, get, who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. God wants them to be encouraged, just because Moses isn't taking them across, Joshua is. But don't get caught up in the man. It's God that you're following. The man is in charge. He's the one that God put and is leading them, of course. But it doesn't matter whether it's Moses or Joshua. It's God that you're following. He wants to encourage them to not be afraid, to have faith, to trust in God, to rely on him. That could be a little discouraging. Moses is the one that brought them out of Egypt. He led them out. Um, it's the only leader they've known. For 40 years, they've been following Moses. And now he's not going to take us all the way in. What do you mean? There's a little bit of a cult of personality going on here. They're following the man, and he knows that. Um, and so God says, I don't want you to worry about this. I'm telling you this ahead of time. It's not a surprise. We're going to switch. Joshua's going to do everything that we promised we were going to do. It's just going to be him, though, instead of Moses. Um, I want him to take you across. And so he shows them that. Now, this is a typology. As you look at the history of Israel, you see actually our walk with the Lord. Uh, we were caught in sin. We were stuck in the world in Egypt. And God sent us the law to show us, Moses being synonymous with the law, to show us our sin, to show us. But by no means can the law take us into the promised land. It can't take us into victory. That's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And we see Joshua, whose actual name is Jesus, takes them across the Jordan into this land of promise where they have victory over their enemies. And we see this picture here. And so Moses can't go in for a specific reason. He misrepresented God to the, to the people. He smote the rock the second time, was only supposed to speak to it. We know that, and he'll, God will talk about that here in a minute. Um, and so Joshua is the actual one that's going to take them across. He's his number two guy. He's the one following him. But as the typology goes, it works out perfectly. Moses, the law, brings us to that place and understanding that we need help. All throughout this wilderness experience, we see the law being given, but we see rebellion abounding. And it's only through Christ, it's only through a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we're able to have victory in these areas. Some people think the Jordan means, some people think the Jordan means death. He's taking us into promised land, into heaven. It's not true. Because in heaven, we don't have battles. We're not fighting for land. We're not dispossessing anybody. This is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've got your water baptism through the Red Sea. You've got salvation. You're walking. You're not doing very well. You're not being very obedient. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you've been empowered 
to have victory over sin, to dispossess your enemies, basically. And so we see that taking place here. Beautiful picture of Christ in our walk with him. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. He's going to hit on that a lot. Fear is not something we've been given by God. That's not the spirit we've been given. We've been given a spirit of of power, not one of fear. He tells us that. Fear is the enemy's tool in our lives. Fear feeds Satan. The opposite of that is to have faith. Faith is what we use and God uses in our lives to grow stronger, to be with him. And so he tells them, it's, it's not a request. Gosh, I hope you're not afraid. No, do not be afraid. Do not fear. I want you to have faith. That's a command for all of us. It's a choice we make as to whether we're going to be afraid or to have fear in our lives or whether we're going to have faith and trust in him. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the man leading you. I'm the one who promised you the promised land. I'm bringing you in there. You trust in me. You don't trust in man. Moses didn't make it. It's it's a stirring of the nest. We're going to see that a little later on in Moses' song in chapter 32. But the stirring of the nest causes us to get shaken up a little bit, but to trust God more. And that's what he's called us to do. And so that's what he tells him. I'm the one who's taking you, and I'm the one who's going to be with you. I'm not going to forsake you. So be ready for that. We want to lead by following God. Moses and Joshua can lead these people for one reason, because they're following the Lord. Even uh, Paul writes that. I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And And it transfers over to us as Christians. We're called to the same thing. We're called to follow God. I don't want people following me, but I do want people following me if I'm following God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of hard not to follow God. There's going to be people in your path that are following him also. Are you following me? No, I'm just following Jesus. But you're behind me. Well, I can't do anything about that. We want to imitate God, and we want to be able to be followed. I don't want to lead people into fear. I want to lead people into faith. And so in order for me to do that, I have to have faith. I have to walk with God. My kids need to see that. My friends need to see that. My relatives need to see that in my life. They need to see that. I was talking to Kim Watson after first service, and boy, aren't they walking a walk of faith. I'll let them tell the story sometime. But God's spoken to their heart, and they're walking the path, but they have no idea what the next step is. They're just going day by day. Right now, they're homeless. They're living with a friend. They don't have to live with a friend. They've got, they're doing well. They're doing okay. They sold everything. But they're living with a friend because they don't know where the next step is for them. Um, and they're walking by faith. And one of the things he said to me was, but boy, there's a lot of people watching us. I said, of course there is. And that's a good thing. But rest assured, it's not up to you to make it happen. You don't have to worry about it. You just keep walking day by day, and God will bring about the next step. You just have to be, continue to be faithful. That's what God calls us to as Christians. Sometimes you get worried. Well, I hope God's faithful. I'm going to look pretty stupid, or he's going to look pretty dumb if he's not. You know, a ridiculous thing to say, but we can say it. God's got broad shoulders. But God wants us to walk by faith. encourages us that, not to walk by fear. It's a decision. So he's called Joshua and told him all this. Lead, follow God, and lead. Verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women, little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Every seven years I want this this read. So by the time the kid's 20, he's heard it at least twice. At least twice he's heard it. Now, hearing it and believing it and being obedient to it are, are separate issues altogether, but they're going to be without excuse. They're going to hear it. We hear Bible studies all the time. I hear Bible studies all the time. I study the Bible all the time. I study for myself first, apply it to my life. What is God saying to me? And then once I have it in my heart and he's straightened me out the best he can anyway, I try to give it out to you guys what I've received. Um, 
and then you guys hear teachings on the radio and you have your own Bible studies on your own. And God is constantly speaking to us. There are those times when you come across something in God's Word, you're like, why didn't you share that with me today? You know, I wanted something, you know, I'm thinking about my new job interview and I'm hoping for a little bit of, you know, a little encouragement in this. And you start talking about this over here. God does that like he's doing this here to warn us and prepare us. We're going to see him here several times throughout these chapters say, and then you're going to rebel, and then you're going to not do right, and I'm going to have to straighten you out, but then I'm going to bring you back. And he goes through those processes. Like, you know all that because it's, he's not making it happen. He's not causing you to rebel, but he is letting you know that he sees it in the future because he knows all things. He's warning us ahead of time. So when I run across stuff in the Bible, I'm like, well, that doesn't, that's interesting. I wonder why he's telling me that. I pay attention to that stuff. I may be doing great in that area today. But then he tells me, you know, and then they fell and they did this horrible thing because they weren't paying attention or whatever. I pay attention to that because he's warning me next week you might not do so well when that trial comes your way. I'm warning you ahead of time. Be prepared. Be prayed up. Get ready. Strengthen yourself in prayer for that moment, that crossroads, sin or obedience. Which is it going to be that I'm prepared? I see it coming a mile away now. Oh, here it comes. God warned me this was going to happen. I mean, it was going all great. Here's the shoe dropping. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I've already, I've already decided what I'm going to do. I'm following God. He warns us ahead of time. That's all he's doing. Read this every seven years. Know the law. Teach your kids the law. They need to know this. They need to know to be obedient to God. It'll be up to them whether they are or not, but it won't be because they haven't heard. They've heard. It's a witness against them, he says. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So he wants to make kind of a deal out of it, uh, of ceremony. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. So they're all there. Okay, it's kind of a big deal. Um, And that's important to do in front of the people. He wants them to see Moses and Joshua didn't just decide he's going to be the next guy because, well, he's, he's always around. No, this is God's doing. They need to see that. And so he's going to make this kind of a ceremony. And the Lord said to Moses, he's going to talk about their backsliding now, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Now, God is not saying I'm causing that. He's saying I can see that happening. That's what's going to happen. Anyway, then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. Now, we just read he wasn't going to forsake them. What does he mean? It's temporary. It's temporary. I'm going to leave them alone. They're going to worship these other gods I'm going to remove my hand of blessing and my hand of protection around them, and I'm going to let them see what it's like to worship these other gods. I'm going to let these little gods save them so that these folks know there are no little gods. They're all demons. I'm going to let them come in and figure that out, and then I'm going to bring them back to myself. So it's a learning thing. It's not a permanent forsaking. And he'll say that at the bottom of this column here. Um, They broke my covenant. I'm going to be, my anger is going to arouse. I'm going to forsake them. I'm going to hide my face from them. Many evils shall trouble, shall befall them. So that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. That's the idea, to make them thirsty, to come back to him. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the months or in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. I know their hearts. So he says, I want to write a song. I want you to write a song, Moses. And that's what chapter 32 is. It's basically all of his song that he writes about the history of Israel, what they're going to do. It starts off with God is great. Here's what he's done for us. Here's how we responded to that greatness by rebelling against him. And terrible things happened to us, but then he brought us back. That's it in a nutshell. 
If you have trouble remembering our songs up here, you, you, you won't believe this song. There's no repetition at all. You know, I mean, this is a song of songs. And he writes it in a day, he tells us. It took him a day to write chapter 32. They wrote this song. I don't know the tune, so I won't sing it, but we will go over it. It's a witness. Funny thing. God desperately wants them to know his word. Not only does he write it down, not only does he give it to Moses, not only are they reading it every seven years, he says, and by the way, write a synopsis of this in a song form so that they're singing as they work. So it's a witness against them. And that's important. Songs stick in our head. They do. And I, was, I could probably do the Gilligan's Island theme song for you right now. I don't know when that show went off the air, but I watched it every day after school and I can, I can sing it. I mean, some of the weird words I know, you know. It sticks in your head, and it's never going to get out of my head either, unfortunately. That's always going to be there. There's a lot of songs I wish weren't there. I need room for memory, right? Don't you love to delete all the worthless stuff you picked up along the way? This isn't worthless. This is something you're going to sing. We sing songs. Can you put those words up? We sang these songs today. Maybe you didn't remember them, but we sang these songs. You sang these songs. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation in the next one. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. You all sang those words, hopefully. Did you mean it? It's a witness against you. You understand that? We sang these songs. Oh, I will build my life. And then we walk out. Well, I don't really love anybody. You know, be careful. These are witnesses against us. These are things that we sing, words that we read, things that we take into our hearts, and we do. And it's like, God's like, I thought you were going to build your life upon my love. Well, I was going to build a lot, but then that guy showed up in my life. You know, you didn't tell me he was going to come. I'm going to build most of my life upon your love. You know, we got to take these things. We teach the kids songs. Um, I remember one of the first songs I taught when I was a Sunday school teacher to the kids. I don't know if I taught them. Well, I suppose I did because they were in the, I did the five to six-year-old boys and girls. I, I don't know how many. I think we had 27, and it was just me. I had 27, a class of 27, boys and girls, five to six, and it was just me. It was awesome. I mean, we had a ball, but boy, you had to be creative because they've got energy, right? I brought Legos in, buckets of Legos, and they all played Legos while I taught the Bible because that was the only way you could get them to sit still for any amount of time. And so they'd do that. Songs we would teach them. One of them was, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And you do this, you know. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And you go through the whole thing. Be careful, little hands. Be careful, little feet. And they're singing. They're having a great time. And I wanted to say, this is a witness against you, you know. You're going to be washing your boat, 50 years old. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And you're going to be staring at some girl in a bikini. You're not supposed to be looking at her. But you'll be whistling that song. You know you're not supposed to be looking at her. Oh, yeah. God says, I want you to, probably not, but uh, now you guys won't be able to get that out of, your, out of your head. That's like an earworm now. It's stuck. It's a good one to have stuck. It wasn't like a terrifying song, you know, watch out, God's everywhere, you know, kind of thing, looking at you. And he's like, no, you're taking God wherever you go is the idea behind the song. And this is what this song is for. Please, no matter what stage you're in, in this chapter 32 song, whether you know who God is, remember the bad parts so you don't fall into it. If you're in the process of being a sinner, remember the good parts where God says you can come back to me at any time. The song speaks, and they can sing at any time. It doesn't matter whether I don't have the Bible with me. It doesn't matter. You can sing that song in your head in prison or in captivity over in Babylon, anything. God's got it. And so I want you to write this song so it's in their head, and they'll know it. So they do. Verse 22, Therefore Moses wrote this song, the same day, and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Again, he says that. Be strong and be of good courage. That's a command. That's not a hope. That's not a suggestion. I, you be strong and of good courage. Joshua cannot worry about what they're saying behind him. He's got to keep his eyes on the Lord and follow God and be strong and of good courage. It's going to be hard. You have to be the kind of man, Joshua, that can go to Jericho whether anybody's with you or not. And you need to lead by faith. You need to walk by faith. You need to let people see this. And they'll follow, 
There may be grumbling, there may be complaining, there may be all sorts of things going on behind you, but you be strong and have good courage. Trust in me, he says. Because I'm going to bring you there. I'm going to do it. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of, the, of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. And it is against you. The law is really never for you. It's only against you. The speed limit sign never says, way to go. 24, nice. It always tells me, hey, wait a minute. 35, bad, you know, or 110 in some people's case. Just kidding. Um, whatever it may be, watch out, you know, look out. It's, it's always there against us. And then we go to our an answer, you know. What's the solution for that? Jesus, he's our solution. It's a witness against us. The law is always a, a witness against us. So uh, set that beside there, you know, um, as a witness against you. He says this, take this book um, as a witness against you, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Moses understands this. He knows they're supposed to be following God, but he also knows that he's been quite a restraining force in their life. They didn't do nearly as bad with him around, and he knows when I'm gone, it's going to be bad. As Christians, we need to know that. We're a restraining force. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're a restraining force. You think this world is bad now. This is it under constraint with us here. Wait till the rapture takes place and we're removed from this earth and the Holy Spirit is taken. And all of a sudden, I mean, the Holy Spirit is still going to be doing his work, but there's no restraining force. There's no light. There's no salt. All hell is going to break loose. Literally, it's going to fall in. That's what we do. We're a restraining force. We're to be there for people to follow. Joshua, Moses, they all needed to follow God. They knew that we need to follow God, and people need to see that and watch that in our lives. And be able to follow after us and not worry about whether we're going to lead him into a pit or not. We don't want to be the blind leading the blind. And so he tells him, I know when I go, it's going to be bad. And it's going to be the same here. Don't, don't be discouraged when, I don't know what, what they might call you at work. Or, or put, maybe, you're, maybe you're Debbie Downer. Or maybe you're, uh, you're just a, you know, a bucket of cold water on the fun that they're having. Well, I can't help that. Um, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, if you want to have a hedonistic party, don't invite me um, if you want to be guilt-free. Uh, that's, that's what I do. Um, I'm not telling you anything. You don't have to do anything. You can just be there in their presence, and they still feel guilty. They still feel convicted. Oh, I know you're a religious guy. And pardon me. Pardon my French or whatever they say to you. you know. Just being there. You're a restraining force. Moses says, I know that when I leave, that restraining force is going to be gone. I know you're going to rebel. I know you're stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Now he's saying this as they're about to walk by faith into the promised land. And he's saying this as even though their walk across the Jordan is by faith, so is Moses' statement here because it hasn't happened yet, but he believes God at his word. That's what faith is. I know this looks great, and we're excited, and we're going to conquer Jericho, and it's going to go wild, well for a little bit, but I know it's going to happen because God's already told me. It doesn't matter what our circumstances look like right now. God says this. Things are going to wax worse on this earth. Things aren't going to get better. Things are going to get worse and worse on this earth. The Bible tells us that. Now, we may have ups and downs, but it's still, it's a, you know, you've got your peak, and then you fall a little bit further, and eventually... Christ returns. We know that. That's faith. Um, the nation of Israel cried out to God in Egypt because their circumstances were horrible. Their symptoms of their life were terrible. And so they cried out to God. 
And God showed them that, yeah, your circumstances are bad and I can remove those circumstances and change them if you follow me. But God was more interested in taking care of not the symptoms, but the disease itself, which is rebellion. And as Christians, um, some people come to Christ because at first they're symptoms. My marriage, my kids, finances, sickness, whatever it may be. Circumstances have come in such a way that I need to seek God for answers or solutions to these symptoms. And God does. He's faithful to take care of those symptoms oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes he does. But we've got to get in our hearts. You need to be born again. There's a disease problem here. You don't need an aspirin or some kind of medication to cover over or mask the problems that you have. Those are just the symptoms telling you there's a disease going on. We come to the great physician for a diagnosis. Anybody tired of going to a physician where they just throw medication at you? I don't know how many times I hear that. We hear that all the time. Well, what's wrong with me? Well, I don't know. Let's try this, this, or this combination, or whatever. Would you just diagnose me? Well, we need to be careful about our complaints. We need to come to God for a diagnosis. Not God, take care of the symptom, get rid of that. Give me some kind of, where's my pocket promise Bible book? So I get a quick fix for today so I don't have to feel so yucky inside. No, there's a problem. There's a disease. And God wants to take care of it. Our diseases are sin nature. We can have our circumstance changed just like that guy at the pool that couldn't get down when the water was stirring. He was sick. He was an invalid. He was too far away from the water. Every time the water stirred by the angel, someone would jump in before him and get healed. He could never get down there. And so he had this, all I need to do is get to the water. If I could get to the water first, I'd be fine. Jesus said, you don't even have to get to the water. I can just do that right now. This is all a paraphrase, I know. And he healed him right on the spot. He says, now go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. There's a bigger problem here, buddy. It ain't about getting to the water or making yourself walk and carrying your bed. That's temporary. It's the, it's the disease that we've got to take care of. Guys, coming to Christ, he will fix much of our situation, take care of all of our symptoms, but we've got to let him treat the disease. My sin nature, I want to sin. I want to rebel. I want to do it my way. I will not have this man rule over me. There are so many problems with me. That's why I have to be born again. We don't use that word enough. I'm saved. I've accepted Christ. I've asked him into my heart. Fine. Jesus said, you must be born again. You've got to be born again. That old man has to die, and you have to be a new creation in Christ. You have to be born again. You must be a believer and a follower and let him take care of that disease. He has to give you his mind and take your mind away. He has to give you his heart and take your heart away. He has to get there. Otherwise, we're just tackling symptom after symptom, but the disease is never touched. Verse 30, then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. So he taught him this song. Here it goes. Ready? I don't know the tune. Give ear, O heaven, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Moses begins the song with declaring he hopes that the words of this song and the words of the law are like rain. Boy, do we need rain or what around here? Everybody does. I mean, but we're in a drought. And if you look at the Missouri map, that big red spot up here in the northern part of Missouri is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a severe drought. And some of you are experiencing it. Some of you have to sell some of your cattle because you can't feed them. The hay's not there. The water's not there. It's happening. And oh, how thankful we are when the rain comes. Oh, my goodness, so thankful. It's refreshing to us. That's the picture. God's word needs to be like that to our desert of a heart. It needs to come and just, oh, so great to hear God's word. What a blessing. It always encourages me. It always changes me. The tender herb, the little tiny blades of grass that are trying to grow up, but just having a struggling, the weeds are doing great, but the grass is having such a hard time. Oh, that it would just rain a little bit. And then it does. And it gets everything it needs. And the roots stop drying up and shriveling. And they begin to grow a little deeper, which is going to protect them from further drought later on. 
Every time it rains, those, they grow just a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper until finally, whether it rains or not, that tap root's 20 feet down. And it's going to get water no matter what and help it survive through the droughts. That's what he wants God. I hope this drops like rain on you. I hope it's a blessing. And the first thing he wants to tell them is who he is. That's the first thing we need to remember. If you remember verse 4, everything else falls into place. God is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. That tells me everything I need to know about the circumstances that I'm in right now. If I know these things about God, I'm not worried about getting out of these things. I'm God's. I'm his child. It's exactly what he wants for me. It's going to be great. I don't enjoy it. It's struggle. It's tough. It's sad. It's whatever emotion you're going through right now. But if it's from him, if it's allowed by him, then it's a good thing. It's just. It's right. It's upright. But they have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? You forgot what he's done. You know who he is, but you've forgotten what he's done for you, how he's taken care of you. We get caught up in our circumstances a lot. There's a comparison that goes on with us in our minds, with us and other people. I'll give you an example. Our circumstances... Well, our circumstances do not matter. All that matters is your walk with God. Circumstances are irrelevant. He'll use them, but they're so temporary. Every one of them is temporary. America, we're rich. I think we all know that. We are rich. and We are blessed. We are an abundant nation. You go to India, or you go to Africa, wow. They could use some of what we have. But both of those situations are temporary. My riches can be taken away. Our riches can be taken away in a minute. And their poverty can be lifted in a minute. Neither of them matter. I need to walk faithfully with God when I'm rich. I need to walk faithfully with God when I'm poor. Neither of those matter. I'll tell you what's harder. Walking faithfully with God when you're rich. How many of you? Well, don't raise your hand. Never mind. It's not a confession time. <laughs> but boy, you turn on the water. Here it comes, and you taste it, and that blooming algae from Mazingo. The water just tastes horrible. Really? We're going to complain about the flavor of our absolutely beautiful crystal clear water that comes out of our spout every time we want it to? On, off, on, off, on, off. You know? Whereas in Africa or India, they dig a hole and they find water, and they're celebrating and jumping around in it. Woohoo, we got water. We wouldn't, we wouldn't touch it. That's probably bacteria in it or something. It's faith, when we have other things to rely on, dies. When I know the water's going to come, when I know the sun's going to rise, when I know that I've got my job, when I know that my wife's going to be there, when I know my kids are fine, it, we're not walking by faith. It's hard. You can. Don't ever take it for granted. Thank him all the time for it. Flavor aside, great, you know. To walk by faith, is, it's hard when you have everything else other than God to rely on. Doctors, hospitals, five blocks away for us. Not 10-mile walk, you know. Ambulance can come to my house whenever I call them, usually within seven minutes. Well, it took them eight. What in the world is wrong with these people? We've got accustomed to some things. Now, I'm not bad-mouthing it. I'm saying we still need to walk by faith even when we're rich and we're doing well. When you're poor, you still need to walk by faith. Those are temporary circumstances that can change. We're going to be far wealthier when we're in heaven, and, and, and the poor are going to be far wealthier in heaven. It's, it's, it's about our walk with the Lord. Paul says, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, I've learned to, I've learned to abide. Whether I'm free or whether I'm a slave, I've learned to abide. Whether I'm in, that's what he means. When I'm in prison, I'm still abiding. When I'm free and I'm staying in Herod's Praetorium, I'm, you know, it was like a resort, I'm fine. doesn't matter where I am, I'm fine. When I'm full, I'm, I couldn't eat another bite, I, I abide. When I'm starving to death, I abide. It's spiritual. The guys are going to Africa here, and they're going to use water 
free clear water uh, cleaning. Uh, they're going to make chlorine and all that for them to, to clean up their water so they don't sick. So they're using that as a tool because that's all it is, helping them temporarily with their temporary circumstances so that they can be spiritually mature, so they can receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and have their souls saved. Because who cares if you die with clean water and go to hell? makes no difference at all. The circumstances don't matter. It's our faith. It's our walk with God. And God wants them to know that. Don't you know that I've, I've made you? Don't you know that I've established you? Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the many years of generation, or the many years, yeah, the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High divided the inheritance into the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set up boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. He's talking about when they go into the promised land, they divide it up into sections by tribe. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him and instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovering or hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. It's an interesting analogy he uses there as he talks about this eagle. An eagle's nest is an amazing thing to see. I don't know if you've ever seen one before. I mean, it's, it's like a cool fort. Like when you're a kid, you wish you could make something that big and cool. I mean, you're using sticks the size of your arm, and it's just this huge six-foot, eight-foot wide. I mean, there it is, you know. And they use it, I guess, year after year. They use the same nest, no doubt. Who'd want to build another one of those? But serious stuff. Well, they have their little eaglets up there, and they raise them. Eventually, these eaglets get big, and they've got to learn to fly. And so the mom or the dad, I don't know which one does it, adult eagle, stirs up the nest and gets them to fall out. And they're falling and flopping and falling and flopping. And right before they hit the ground, because they're not doing so well, mom will come in and put them on their back and carry them back up to the nest. And they'll do this time and time again. Now, imagine what's going through the eagle's mind. The eaglet. What in the world? Where's the fish? You know? You always jam it down my throat about 8 a.m. Where's the fish? So used to this, so comfortable. This is great. We don't ever have to leave. Some of you have kids like that. This is great. Why would I ever want to get my own place? This is a stocked fridge, you know, right here in front of me. Well, the eagle's doing it for their benefit because eventually they learn as they're flopping and screaming that they're going to catch some wind under those wings and they're going to fly. That's what God does to us. He stirs up our nests time and time again because he wants us to teach us to walk by faith. And before we crash, he'll pick us up and put us back in, and that's happened several times, I'm sure. But he wants us, and make no mistake about it, Maybe you've had your nest stirred and you flopped and you cried and you screamed and he picked you up and he put you back in the nest. And you're like, that was a close one. Thank you, God. Believe me, now he's going to do it again. Until you by faith and not by fear, but by faith spread out your wings, you're able to fly with him and trust him. And so that's what Moses writes here in this song. God is doing this with you. You have been the apple of his eye. He's been like an eagle who stirs up the nest. Get out of here. Then he hovers and picks them up again when they're about to fall and he puts them back in there. And I want you to walk with me. I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith. Our faith needs to grow. And he'll do that for us. So maybe you're in that place. Maybe you have been stirred up. Maybe your nest has been stirred. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. That means God's paying attention to you and he wants you to grow in faith. He wants you to grow and know him better, to trust him more. Verse 13, he made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields, that he, might, uh, he, he made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rocks. In places where there shouldn't be any produce, there it is. There's honey coming out of the rock where the bees have made their hive in between a crack or a crevice. And out of nowhere, you ever see those pictures of trees growing on top of a rock? You're like, what in the world? Boy, life will find a way, we used to say. You know, look at that. They're, they see these olive trees and they're just growing. Where there shouldn't be any, there they are. Curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with the fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drink wine, the blood of the grapes. And what he means by that, and the blood of the grapes is pure. It's like grape juice. It's right fresh from the smashing of the grapes they're drinking it. So it's not ferment, fermentation at all. It's this fresh, beautiful grape juice that you're drinking. 
But Jeshurun, now who's this guy? Well, that's just a poetic term for Israel. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Even though all this was happening to him, even though he's blessed by God, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. Wow. Okay, we got it. Three different ways. You're fat, you're thick, you're an obese. You're full of blessing. You're overflowing with it. You've stuffed yourself with the blessing of God. Then, after that, he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Look at this. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Did you see the relationship there? There are no other gods than our God. There is no other God. When you worship other little g gods out there, you are worshiping demons. It's a fact. You're worshiping them. They may look like him, but Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is not. Be careful when you try to mix other religions into Christianity. They're not mixable. You can't mix demons with the living God. They are who they are. Don't be deceived by them. Of the rock who begot you, uh, you are unmindful. You're not even thinking of them anymore. And have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. That's a prophecy about us Gentiles. Paul says so in Romans chapter 10 when he writes to them. He quotes this verse right here. He says, don't you understand Israel's being provoked by you Gentiles? He wants them to know him, but since they've rejected the Messiah, he's going to use the Gentiles. How come, how come they're worshiping our God? It's supposed to provoke them to say, I, I want that. That's our God. You can't be having our God. It's supposed to make them, you know, thirsty for him. He says, I'm going to do this. And he did, and he has. But look what he calls us here. <laughs> I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. We don't want to get too excited about it. It's amazing how people get excited. and They, they use that replacement theology. Like Israel's been replaced by the church? Not true. That's false doctrine. That's some man's idea. That's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says Israel gets another chance. They get another turn. And we've been grafted in, he tells us. And remember who we are. We're not better than Israel. We're a foolish nation being used by God to provoke Israel to love him, to know him, to receive him as their Savior. So, For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell, Sheol, it shall consume the earth with her incense and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. I will spread my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. Real encouraging this morning. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. A sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within for the young man, the virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hair. Nobody's going to be spared from this. Now, as bad as that sounds, he's not utterly wiping them out. Look what he says here. I would have said I will dash them to pieces. I will make them a memory of them to cease from among men. I would have said that, but I didn't. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should, be, should misunderstand, lest they should say our hand is high and it is not the Lord who has done all this. I want to make sure the tool that I'm using, this foreign nation, these other gods to, like when he takes them into captivity to Babylon, I don't want them to think that they're better than me or that they've defeated me. I don't want that. So no, I'm going to save them from that. I'm just going to use these guys temporarily. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant in Joshua's hand got taken and captive and they thought Dagon, their God, had done it. Dagon, the half-fish, half-man God, which is kind of funny. Um, and I say that because it's Nineveh that has this half-god, Dagon. And when Jonah shows up, just so you can put all these pieces together, remember, Nineveh worships a half-god or half-man, half-fish, right? That's what their idol looks like. So here comes Jonah, thrown up on the shore by a giant whale. You know, out of him comes this bald, hairless, bleached white guy from being in the stomach of a whale. Repent. Oh, you got it, you know, kind of thing. This is a side note. 
I don't want them to think that Dagon won or their gods won. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. I want them saved too. I don't want them to think that their God did something about this. I'm not a museum guy. I'm the guy that shows up at the Natural History Museum and I'm looking for the dinosaur bones. That's all I care about. I want to see the put-together dinosaur to see how big it is. I don't read the plaques. I don't care what dates there are. That's a great piece of pottery. Who cares? Where's the dinosaurs? So I'm just not the museum guy. I'll tell you what, though. There's one museum I can encourage you to go to. It's a Holocaust museum. I've been to, I've been to the one in Israel. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. They've got one in New York, I believe, and there's a couple of them around the world. They've set them up there. Um, oh my goodness. Amazing. It, it's shaped in a lot of ways like Auschwitz, like a furnace would be shaped. So when you walk into it, it's like you're walking into the furnace. Okay. And then you go through and it's a winding path and it's, you can't track, you don't know where you are. And it takes you through the history of this war, this world war. Um, and it's amazing. By the time you're done, you're like, oh, I mean, it's not a snow cone day, you know, like, oh, wasn't that great? Let's have a hot dog. No, you just kind of walk out of there stunned. Um, Amazing museum. And here's why I bring that up. Because it shows, I'll be careful how I say this, Germany may or may not have been used by God's hand in Israel's life through this Holocaust. I would never say that it was a blessing. Please don't misunderstand me. But whatever it was, whatever Satan had planned, God has worked out for good, let me put it that way, and brought them back into their land again. Because of World War II, because of the Holocaust, their land was given back to them. Should, I mean, it was never anybody's power to give it to them, but it, they have it. And they're being drawn back there now. And in case Germany ever got excited thinking that, ha-ha, we've beaten these dumb Jews, Germany goes down at the end of World War II, okay? Big time. Hitler especially, okay? Um, and that just shows this scripture coming to pass. I might use them in your life, but make no mistake, I'm not going to let them think they've beaten me or have anything greater than I am, Okay. So going to this Holocaust museum is amazing. Now, another museum, a snow cone museum, would be a good one, is the Creation Museum in Kentucky. It's amazing. Um, I encourage you to go to that if you can ever get there. The Creation Museum, and then the Ark is up there now, too. It's a little further away, but you can see both when you go over there. That's awesome. Okay, museum, um, we're done. Verse uh, 30. How could one chase... Oh, boy, we're late. How could one chase 1,000 uh, and two put 10,000 to flight unless the rock had sold them? And the Lord had surrendered them. Of course it's God. For their rock is not like our, our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom, and their fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their uh, clusters are bitter. Their wine is poison of the serpents the, uh, and, a, and the cruel venom of cobras. In other words, they may have blessings, but they're horrible, horrible. Um, they're, they're not the same as the blessings of God. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and, I, and, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the, things, uh, and the things to come hasten upon them. He's writing this in the song to let them know, although you've been rebellion, rebellious and I've, I've allowed this to happen, I will not let them win, I will bring you out of it. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When they become servants again, he has compassion on them. In other words, this is a heart-changing mission. And I have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone, that there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their, of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Where are those gods you were giving all of my sacrifices to? Have they helped you? Where are they? It's a little bit of sarcasm here from God. Now even I, now, now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver me or deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and I say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives, from the heads of the leaders of the enemies. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. 
for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Another prophecy about what he's going to do with the church and with Jesus. So Moses came. That's the end of the song. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this, uh, by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. That's the first city they conquer and do well. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend. And be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me uh, among the children of Israel at the waters of Mirba Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. And that's the water story, where God said, speak to the rock, let the water come out. Moses said, I hear you, hit the rock, disobeyed God, and showed that the rock had to be smitten twice. The reason that's important is because that rock represents Christ. God was doing a typology there. You, Christ is crucified once. After that, you speak. And the water comes. Living water comes by speaking. Okay? We don't have to crucify Christ over and over again. That's where the mass that's, that's done is in error. It's the same error here. This is what Moses did. You do not smite Christ over and over and over and over again. He was smitten once for all. And after that, we speak and we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's not any other way. You don't have to keep doing that. It's, it's rebellion against what his word says. I don't want that happening. So he tells them, that's why you can't go in. It was so serious that Moses led them for 40 years but couldn't take them into the promised land because of that one error. God is serious about his salvation through Jesus. It needs to be represented correctly. It must be represented correctly. Yet, verse 52, you shall see the land before you. I'm going to let you see it. You can't go into it. You can see it that you shall not go there, into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're faithful to give it to us and to give us understanding, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, as we finish this book up next week, I pray that you'd help us to hear and remember and apply everything we heard today, God. You give us this as a warning, as a, a testimony. And it doesn't need to be against us. It can just be one that we've heeded, a warning that we've listened to and we've obeyed and we've gotten prayed up and listened and changed. Um, we want that, God. Um, so thank you for it. Lord, for those who don't know you this morning but want to, they want to be born again. They came in with symptoms, but they know they've got a disease now that needs to be treated by you. Um, they want to surrender their lives to you right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I give you my life. You've given me yours, and I want to give mine back to you in gratitude. Lord, come into my heart. I want to be born again. I want to be born of the Spirit. I want to walk like I'm supposed to walk in obedience, but I can't do that on my own. It's not about my, it's not about my stubbornness. It's not about my discipline. It's about you and your Spirit. That's how I'll have victory over my sin. So I give you my life, and I pray that you give me victory. Fill me with your Spirit and all the gifts necessary to operate in this world, to be a blessing to those around me and to you. Lord, I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.